Listener Production. So as we inch our way painfully closer to the end of 2021, <laughs> you got to ask, like, was this year even real? Did it even happen? It was such a weird one. It really was. It just didn't go to plan at all. There were some massive curveballs. I think we have every year this misplaced belief that something magical changes at Christmas, that somehow eating some ham and taking two weeks off work (laughs) is going to be the end of all our problems and the next year will somehow be different. I know that after 2020, which was the year of the worst pandemic in 100 years, I certainly sat there with my friends and we had a few drinks and we really hoped that 2021 was going to be more like normal. And for a few months, it almost was. Then cue the Delta outbreak. The only way to pull up a Delta outbreak is to lock down hard and fast I almost get PTSD listening to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Millions of lives were then thrown into turmoil. Then another curveball, the intense ongoing protests on vaccine mandates. But I guess distracting us from all of that uncertainty around COVID... The Royals gave us plenty to talk about. Hold up, hold up. There's Stop several right now. Conver- there are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be. And there were definitely some brighter moments. Uh, Cleo Smith was found alive. And let's not forget, we had the Olympics. An Olympic record, oh. a golden double. Ariane Titmus, the two and four. That audio there, thanks to Channel 7. Oh, that makes me feel better. That was just incredible. I'd almost forgotten we had the Olympics this year (laughs) and they're only a few months ago. So we're going to wrap this all up in this second last regular episode of the briefing for the year. We're asking, did 2021 even happen? And what were the biggest curveballs of the year? It is Thursday, December 16, before Katrina and I drag you through 2021 again. Jan Fran is here for today's headlines. Hello, Tom. Hello, everybody. We're starting with COVID today and surging New South Wales case numbers are expected to surpass Victoria's figures as early as today. This is after a 70% increase yesterday that took New South Wales just shy of Victoria's 1,405 cases. By the end of January, we could be looking at 25,000 cases of the virus every single day. That's a warning from the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard. Pretty sobering, isn't it? 25,000 cases. That's not a number that I wanted to hear. I must (laughs) say I'm a little bit confused about the message in New South Wales because the Premier, Dominic Perrottet, doesn't really like talking about COVID numbers. And he said that before. He said Mm. it's about hospitalisation. It's about vaccination rates. But here we have the health minister talking about COVID numbers. And then you have the chief health officer, Kerry Chance, saying we should really still be wearing masks. However, in New South Wales, as of this week, in a lot of instances, you no longer have to wear masks. So (laughs) wondering what's going on. Personal responsibility. We've got to take it into our own hands. I guess that's what they're saying. And yeah, it's interesting, you know, let's not talk about the case numbers, but then talking about the case numbers, I guess they're sort of trying to warm us up to get used to these numbers that would previously would have appeared absolutely shocking to us. Mm. It's not just New South Wales dealing with COVID. Obviously, Queensland has listed new exposure sites after recording six new locally acquired cases of COVID-19. Now, two of the new cases are being treated 
as the Omicron variant. And one of the cases had been at that Newcastle nightclub that's turned out to be a massive Omicron super spreader event. Yeah, and uh, to WA, they've put uh, slightly more restrictions on the New South Wales border. It's now in the extreme risk category. They've always had a tough border. This just means that that border is going to get even tougher to cross if you're coming from New South Wales. Basically, really, it's only government officials, some diplomats who'll have exemptions to be over there, and even then they'll have to do hotel quarantine. And the Federal Treasurer will use today's budget update to forecast a million new jobs and the lowest unemployment in 10 years. Josh Breidenberg will use the mid-year fiscal and economic outlook, which is really just an update on the budget to reveal that Treasury expects unemployment will fall to 4.5% by June and then to 4.25% by 2023. Yeah, so that's heading in the right direction. Um, The forecast of a million jobs over four years is also an upgrade on the 850,000 figure from the budget. So that's going in the right direction as well. And wages are expected to grow faster than previously forecast with average earnings expected to rise by an average of two and a half grand a year over the same period. It feels like the economy's on a bit of a knife edge where we're getting all these expectations like those sort of positive forecasts there as well as a lot of spending by business. Mm. But we're on the precipice of another outbreak. There's inflation concerns as well, which are worrying a lot of people. So Mm. there's a lot of mixed economic news coming out at the moment. Yeah. So it's no surprise then that the economy is really going to be a defining issue at the federal election next year. Labor's going really hard on it as well, going really hard on the fact that wages have stagnated Mm. for decades and really pushing that idea of wage growth. And so I think it will be a battle over the economy for so many reasons. Well, it always is. Um, The other factor that will play out is if interest rates started going up, which a lot of people in the market are predicting, that'll put a lot of um, debt-ridden homeowners under pressure, which could be a big election swinger as well. Debt-ridden homeowners, no names mentioned there, Tom (laughs) Tilly. (laughs) And Labor is warning that allegations that the government is funnelling grant money into its own seats or those that it wants to win will be investigated by a future federal anti-corruption body. This government is rotten to the core. The pork barrelling is just out of control. That's Anthony Albanese speaking there. So this comes out of um, a big piece in the nine newspapers yesterday and today, which revealed that $1.9 billion in three years had been spent in coalition seats or marginal seats, whereas Labor electorates got around about a quarter of that, only $530 million. Yeah. Now, the PM was asked about this. He did say that the analysis had ignored other grant schemes, and he said that the strong funding you know, could be put down to some MPs being a little bit more proactive in their particular electorates. Yeah, but very, very, very proactive Mm. when you look at the discrepancies. So in Albo's seat of Grainler in Sydney, they got less than a million in funding from these grants, whereas the Liberal seat next door, Reid, got 14.8 million. So 14 million more. In Dixon, Peter Dutton's seat in Queensland, there was a $42 million difference between it and the neighbouring seat of Lily. And Scott Morrison was asked about that yesterday. Well, Dixon must have a very good local member. Yeah, they do. They have a great local member. It may be the case that Dixon has a great local member. However, when that pattern keeps repeating across the country, that becomes a slightly different question. Well, the pattern is that the great local member that's in Scott Morrison's government has better access to Scott Morrison, who... Mm 
essentially signs off on the grant. Yeah, I mean, this is, I suppose, working in Labor's favour to some extent because they have been promising a federal anti-corruption body should they win the next election. And we know that that's a slightly sore point for Scott Morrison, who promised it at the last election and hasn't delivered on it. And he's been under some pressure to do that. Yeah, and it's been out trashing the New South Wales Corruption Commission (laughs) while he tried to get Gladys Berejiklian to um, step up for pre-selection in Warringah. And she said, no thanks. So he went out trashing the corruption body and got nothing for it. And Glenn Maxwell's defence team are expected to try to frame her accusers of being untrustworthy and of being driven by money when they begin their case later today. The prosecution rested its case on Friday after 10 days, during which four women testified about how Maxwell set up sexual encounters between them and Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, so legal experts have been observing this trial. They say that they expect Maxwell's defence team to raise questions about how Epstein's accusers received money from a fund for victims. The defence team uh, says that it will spend two to four days making this case. They haven't, though, confirmed whether they will call Maxwell herself to the stand. Prince Andrew's legal team, um, in a separate case, have attempted to strike out Virginia Dufresne's lawsuit, a civil suit against him, arguing she was 17, the legal age of consent, at the time of the alleged sexual encounter. And that argument's expected to be made in court in early January. So another very interesting New York uh, case to be watching there. Indeed. All right, Jan, we'll catch you tomorrow for the final regular briefing of the year where we look forward into 2022 and speak to comedian Dan Illick. Sign up for the newsletter. That's another thing that's coming out next year. Jump into the Instagram bio. There's a link there. Sign up for that. All right, Katrina Blowers is about to join us again as we look at the year that was. Now to our briefing, and Tom and I are going to reflect on the big curveball moments of 2021. India's B1617.2, aka the Delta variant. A concerning trend is emerging in the Delta outbreak. The Delta variant. The Delta outbreak. The Delta variant. Yeah, so for me, Katrina, probably the biggest curveball of the year was the Delta wave. It really affected everyone differently too, which is one of the interesting parts of it. On a personal level for me, living in Sydney, we'd come out of Christmas uh, where we had the Northern Beaches outbreak, which sort of ruined Christmas. It meant I started my year by postponing my 40th birthday and then things opened up. I pushed it back three months, made the big call. It was a tough one and it was great because in April we had a great party and it felt like we were completely getting back to normal and Australia was the envy of the world again. And then in late May... There was a couple of snap lockdowns in Melbourne because of a few Delta cases. These are concerning numbers. We're neck and neck with this uh, virus and it's it's an absolute beast. Now, I've got to admit, when I heard Brett Sutton say that, I thought, I think that's a bit over the top. But in hindsight, I was wrong because soon after that, close to where I live in Sydney, there was the case of the limo driver and there were some restrictions brought in, but not the hard lockdown of Melbourne. We all know what happened next. There were cases at my local shopping centre in Bondi Junction and then seating events in Western Sydney. And then it was off and it was also Mm. in Melbourne. Now, New South Wales had what was criticised as a, a lockdown light, but it looked like it was almost about to come under control and then it just wasn't. Victoria just went so hard again, saying that they didn't want to be like Sydney. Friends of mine who lived in Victoria, who'd been through that dreadful year in 2020, their mental health really suffered this year as their kids were all pulled out of school again and they had to work from home. Yeah, and then this is where it got interesting because 
the Melbourne lockdown, which had worked despite all the pain in the past, wasn't working this time around because mm. essentially, I mean, Brett Sutton was kind of right. It was just so much more transmissible than the previous variants. And so this meant that the two biggest states went into just these protracted long lockdowns. But where the story sort of shifted was when they gave up on COVID zero. And that was the sort of unofficial policy we'd fallen into because we'd done so well and all the other states like yours still were. But even Dan Andrews had to do an about face and say, COVID zero is over. And that's what then drove the massive vaccination rates. And I don't think any of us saw it coming that Australia would end up having some of the highest vaccination (sighs) rates in the world. So do you think the Delta wave was a good thing in some ways, or, or if we had been able to keep it at bay, we all could have lived like Queensland and WA and, and maybe taken longer to open up but had less pain along the way. I think we're still in the midst of it and history, I guess, is going to judge this so differently to the way we're judging it all now. But definitely there's been some good that's come out of the severity of the border closures and the lockdowns in that it's forced people to get vaccinated. It's made us so much more appreciative of the freedom that we now have. The toll on people's mental health, I think, is still going to be something that's going to be borne out because people are still struggling. And so for you, Katrina, a big curveball was the vaccine mandates and the really intense reactions to them. I definitely didn't see this one coming, especially how toxic this debate has Mm. gotten. So thousands have marched all over the country this year, continue to do so in many cities, and there's been gallows at protest events, effigies, attacks on the media, and even death threats against our leaders. This extremist behaviour is verging on urban terrorism. It's demented. It's deranged. There are some people who are threatening me, they're threatening my family. They are essentially uh, attacking the safety of my family. So that was the WA Premier Mark McGowan's voice you heard first up there and and Daniel Andrews second up. Both of those uh, leaders have received death threats against them and their families. Strong language too from the Northern Territory Chief Minister, which has made him a target of international trolls and conspiracy theorists. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. Tom, this is a a really great example of when I think what started out as a good intention has turned bad. On a personal note, this has caused divisions in my own family Mm. where it's made Christmas time pretty tough and some tough conversations are going to be had in my family in the next couple of weeks because I've got some very close relatives who are refusing to get vaccinated and because of the mandates, face losing their jobs. Wow. It's easy to get distracted by a noisy minority and think we have a massive problem here. We mm. actually don't. We just do have some some real division on the fringe and it's very uncomfortable to watch. But by and large, I think we're in a, a relatively good position. But I, I, I don't envy the leaders on this one. There's no zero cost option here. We still don't know how Omicron is going to play out. So I think, yeah, this is going to be another one where it's wait and see whether this mandate has been too tough and too inflammatory or whether it ends up being the right approach. So another big curveball for me, and I really never saw this coming, was that I'm just so (laughs) passionate about the Royals. I have to say, I never saw that coming from you either. You love talking about the Royals. I do. It's so sad. What a loser. (laughs) 
You're not the only one, though. I think that was a great distraction for 2021, particularly that Oprah interview. Every single person I know watched that. Mm. I also blame the crown. The crown, <laughs> yeah. the crown really played with my emotions. I got so on board, and despite all the bad things about the royals, I think you come out of the crown kind of liking them more. I mean, it's it sort of, I think redeemed Prince Philip, actually. I think for a lot of people of our generation and younger, they'd only heard about him through his gaffes. But he'd actually had a lifetime of great work and and despite some of his off-colour sort of humour, people love him. I think the Crown kind of showcased that there was a really beautiful love story between him and the Queen. I'm almost tearing up just thinking about it. Yeah, and there was that heartbreaking photo when Prince Philip passed away and we were in the grip of a pandemic and and social distancing, that heartbreaking photo of the Queen mourning alone Mm. at his funeral, that tiny figure in black uh, in all the empty church pews. And your heart just broke for her and it's a lonely job for her now and he was her ally and confidant and now she has to do this big job all by herself. Yeah, of course the, the real thing that got people going was the Meghan and Harry Oprah interview which was, <laughs> whew, I don't want to, um, yeah, look, I got accused by Jan Fran of sounding like Piers Morgan on this but um, I don't think it reflected on the couple that well. I've said this to you before, Tom, I think the big issue that people have with Meghan and Harry is that they call out for privacy and then they go and sign massive deals with, you know, Spotify to do a podcast series or they do exclusive tell-all interviews and it just, the, the hypocrisy of that I think just grates on people. I think maybe they got the wording wrong because, yeah, they weren't actually after privacy. What they wanted was to control their story. So on a level, it's hypocrisy, but on another level, it's it's fair enough because Meghan did get unfairly treated by the tabloids in the UK. They were so harsh on her as an outsider. She did obviously give them a bit of fodder to work with, mm. but it was pretty tough. Yeah, it seems they, they actually do want attention. They just want the right kind of attention. I'm just really relieved and happy to be sitting here talking to you with my wife by my side because I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself all those years ago because it has been unbelievably tough for the two of us, but at least we had each other. But then uh, there was also wrong, very wrong attention levelled at the royals over Prince Andrew, mm. who uh, was embroiled in the Jeffrey Epstein scandal. Further emphasising my passion, I just want to add one more point on the royals. Oh, gosh, here we go. I think the yep. slightly more, less salacious story, but maybe the biggest story of all of it, is just the slow, steady rise of Prince William, the future, future king. He has played a straight bat still done a lot of good for the world. So in many ways has the same objectives as his brother, but he's going about it within the system. Yes, with class and grace and the Duchess of Cambridge couldn't be a better wing woman for him. Uh, They just look rock solid as a couple and just super classy. So our fourth and final big curveball for 2021... I think a lot of us thought the Olympics might be a disaster, but... Yes. Cue the Aussie swimmers. Oh, my goodness. The performance from our female swimmers was just 
Unbelievable. We've got Emma McKeon with four gold, greatest medal winner in our Olympic history. Ariane Titmus with two, and they were just incredible swims to watch. Kaylee McEwen, Kate Campbell, Emma Hodge, the rest of the amazing swimming team. Um, then Dylan Olcott in the Paralympics, winning gold, which set him up to do the Golden Slam in wheelchair tennis and announce the end of an amazing sporting career. Yeah, I think, you know, watching Ariane Titmus in the 400 metre freestyle was one of those where were you when that mm. happened moments. I was actually uh, in, in a Brisbane hospital getting my COVID jab, huh. watching the television and I was crying and people thought it was because I'd had an adverse reaction to the jab. But in fact, uh, I work with Ariane's dad, Steve Titmus, mm. and I just knew everything that the family had gone through to get to that moment and what a moment it was. Now she goes up Arnie, she gets into the lead, Ariane Titmus, the legend is growing before our eyes, she does it again, an Olympic record, a golden double, Ariane Titmus, the two and four. And Kaylee McKeon's now legendary poolside interview. What would you like to say to your mum and your sister for now? That's McKeon on uh, Channel 7 there. The Olympics brought us back together yep. on social media because it gave us some hope and a, and a sense of community. It was maybe the best Olympics on memory since, obviously, 2000 in Sydney. And also the other big Olympic news is that Brisbane, or well, South East Queensland, is going to host the Games. Yeah, so um, Brisbane now getting ready for 2032. That's going to be a different kind of Olympics once again. But, yeah, it was the feel-good event that Australia needed. All right, we're nearly at the end of this second last episode. I will say after what we said at the top of the show, Katrina, where you expect everything to magically change over Christmas, let's promise to not make that mistake again and just sort of accept that, you know, January will probably be just as weird, if not weirder, than December. (laughs) I know. I am going to set an intention for next year, though. It's not COVID-related. I don't know how much of this you've noticed, Tom, but I am chronically running late to just about everything that I attend, every commitment that I make. So my intention for next year is to be on time. And no matter what happens with COVID, I think I can hit that one on the head. Well, thank you for turning up at um, 4am Queensland time (laughs) on time, as far as I've noticed, almost every day. Um, We've loved having you on the briefing. You started out as a casual this year and you've stepped up into a permanent role and we love having you on the show. I've loved every minute of it and thank you to all the beautiful listeners who've made me feel so welcome. And tomorrow on the briefing, um, Jan Fran, Daniel, the comedian, and I will be riffing on a whole lot more and particularly forward into 2022 because there are some things that we know will definitely happen. Listener.